Good morning and greetings. In Jesus' name, it's good to be with you all this morning. Being greetings from the uh, Pequay congregation. In the connection uh, to Weavertown here, uh, probably my earliest recollection of Weavertown was when I was a little boy. We had um, some neighbors who lived just up the street from us where I grew up in Geist Road there, um, Jake and Miriam Miller, for maybe some of the older fellows here you remember, uh, Jake and Miriam, they were a really good set of neighbors and uh, I had a positive connection to Weavertown because of their influence in our, us little boys in our lives as we would uh, sometimes go up there and um, Miriam was always a, a very kind, very kind lady. And um, so I'm here this morning for my assigned topic, Avoiding Occult and Pagan Influences. And the text that um, Nate read here, we're not going to be spending a lot of time in there, but uh, it is a text that I think was uh, fitting to go with this topic. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says this, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul penned these words many, many years ago, and I believe they're as true today as they were back then in Paul's time period. I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We know in the garden experience, Eve was beguiled by the serpent, by his subtility, and he's making a case here saying it is a potential for your minds to be corrupted in the same way. And let us stay in the simplicity of Christ. As we look at our society around us, it doesn't take us long to see the effect of pagan influences all around us. You could say that what is wrong in the world is a result of paganism. And this paganistic society has a head, Satan himself. Now I have four things I want to consider as it relates to occult and pagan influences. Paganism is the first thing we'll be looking at, and then how that paganism manifests itself in um, a few of the sub-points I was given was Halloween. We'll be looking at the Halloween uh, celebration, and then yoga, and I've taken a little bit of liberty here in the yoga um, outworking of paganism to also look at mysticism because I think it ties very closely to the, uh, the yoga practices. And then the Christian's response, what should we do? What should the Christian do in response to the pagan society that we live in? <clears throat> so the first one, paganism, what is it? If you were to meet somebody on the street or wherever, 
and you were having a conversation with this individual and having uh, uh, cordial time with him, and he would, t- he would say to you, and you would uh, introduce your faith to him and talk about Christ, and his response to you is, well, I'm a pagan. How would you, what is the impression that you get about this man? Anybody care to share? Motorcycles. Okay. A person trying to imitate God. Any more? What is paganism? A lot of questions for him. What does your paganism, what does paganism mean to you, right? What, describe your paganism. Sure. The pagan uh, idea is actually, it's a pretty broad term. Um, and I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll give you what I found. I did just a little bit of research. And um, so the definition of paganism is this. A polytheistic or pantheistic nature-worshipping religion. Well, if you're like me, that, uh, I uh, kind of struck out there too. A polytheistic, pantheistic, nature-worshipping religion. Okay? So let's dig into this a little bit. What is polytheistic? Polytheistic, so... As Christians, we believe we're the- we would claim theism, right? One God. Polytheistic is related to or characterized by the belief in or worship of more than one God. That's polytheism. Relating to or characterized by the belief in or worship of more than one God. All right? I'm proposing that atheism and humanism fit in this category because in humanism, what self thinks becomes the supreme authority, thus making self a god. That's polytheistic. Polytheism. Pantheistic is a belief that God and the world are ultimately identical, that all is God. Pantheistic, the belief that God and the world are ultimately identical, that all is God. So what do we mean by this? It means everything around us, every material thing, would have the potential to be God or a God. So you must be careful how you treat these things. It is a doctrine which identifies God with the universe or regards the universe as a manifestation of God. Okay? It's a doctrine that regards the universe as a manifestation of God. And this this doctrine also admits or tolerates all gods. Paganism then is expressed in the following mythological religions, which we'll be looking at that, witchcraft, Eastern religions, all practice yoga, ancestor worship is included in that, and nature worship. And I think in this, you could say the evolutionist theory could be included in this nature worship idea. 
Evolution and atheism see the universe as all that there is. So our view, what we would maintain, is a theistic view. And a theistic view is a belief in one God, not many. Uh, you could say uh, Muslims would fall in a theistic uh, view in that category. Um, but most other religions are pantheistic or polytheistic, belief in many gods. And uh, one of the things I think about as I think about our culture, our pagan culture that we live in, one of the things that's very prevalent today is you, will, you might hear somebody say, well, if you believe that way, that's fine. I believe this way, you believe that way, this person believes this way. We need to tolerate everything. And so in that sense, our culture is very polytheistic in the sense that we've become very tolerant, the, the culture around us, tolerant of every belief that's out there, basically. <clears throat> the theist believes that every object in a natural world exists because God creates and conserves that object. Every finite thing has a character of being dependent on God. That is the view of theism. Man in authority on paganism, on the other hand, all the other religions are man's ideas. The term atheist describes a person who does not believe that God or divine being exists. And worldwide, there are as many as a billion atheists. But I maintain, atheists actually do believe in a God. And many times, their God is self. What they believe to be true ultimately reigns, thus putting themselves on the throne in the place of God. Paganism at its core is rebellion against God. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15 through 17, we see the occasion here where um, Satan was created. In verse 15, he says, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou, that thou was created, until iniquity was found in thee. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So there we see God's, God um, ejected Satan from his realm. And he was cast down to the ground. It was Satan's incredible pride that led him to rebel against God. He refused to accept the fact that all he was came from God. And as his pride grew, he determined to take over God's kingdom. And in essence, he started a war that he could never win. Satan was the wisest and most beautiful creature ever created. But he can only go as far and do as much as God allows. Even though Satan was given the most privileged position of any created being, he made a horrible choice to rebel against God and thus taking all of creation with him. <clears throat> and I believe we should be aware of Satan's schemes and plans to deceive God's people. One of those ways is through paganism. Humanism, in a broad sense, I want to look at humanism for just a moment before we get into uh, some of the practical outworkings of paganism in Halloween and some of the other uh, mystic practices. 
Humanism, in a broad sense, is man's ideas superseding God and his words, and really there are a lot of forms of it. If you go to uh, the Webster's and you look for the definition for humanism, it simply says this, devotions to humans. Devotions to humans. What really is at the core is people deciding what is right and what is wrong in their own eyes, thus putting self on the throne. Let's look at humanism's effect in our nation and in our culture. If we were in India, this sermon this morning might look quite different. But since we're here, the culture we're surrounded by, what does this look like? What does humanism have an effect on the nature and the culture around us? Humanism, as we encounter it today, has an, is an evolutionary, atheistic worldview. And one of the things that comes through in humanism really fast, real quick, is, well, if, if that's right for you, so if somebody has a bent towards um, the opposite sex, for example, um, and if you really think that you're not a part of that, but you should be a part of another uh, class... Well, if that's what you think, then that's, what it, that's how it must be, right? That's what we have become, very tolerant. Homosexuality is embraced, and, and in fact, it is celebrated. Um, there, there are some things happening in our culture today as it relates to homosexuality that I, it's just astounding to me that we have got to this point. But I, you know, as we look at this, why is all these things happening? I really think... The, what's at the core of this is humanism, people needing to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. And in our, in our nation, recently, um, this summer, we went on a uh, family trip to the Ark Encounter. And if some of you have been there, you know you get, you get to a place and then you drive the bus back to where the Ark Encounter is. You get off the bus and uh, there's a... Um, I don't know, gift shop or something right straight ahead. And as you look off to the right, there's a, um, there's a, a rather large arc, arch there. And uh, it has a rainbow across the arch. And uh, what, what do you think? As I stepped off the bus, I looked off to my right. I saw the rainbow. Now, the rainbow has a wonderful attachment to God's promises, Right? But was that the first thing that came to my mind when I looked at the rainbow? No, it wasn't. You see the impact that our culture has around us, even to us Christians? So when we see a rainbow, I think this probably happened in the early, when I was a teenager, I think. is when I first remembered the rainbow being associated, associated with, back then we called it gay. Today it's homosexuality. Um, it's, it's unreal. How did we get there? And how is it now that we look at the rainbow and we see something different from what it actually is meant to be? Very sad. Very sad. But that is the impact. That is the impact of that the culture has on Christianity. Abortion, murdering innocent and vulnerable babies. And what happens when you mix pagan ideas with Christianity? You end up with millions of years instead of a six-day creation. 
Uh, you end up with divorce and remarriage in the church. You end up with homosexual or late homosexual lay members and possibly even pastors. And I much could be said about that. It is very sad to see this effect in the in the in the uh, the church's Christianity, as it were, today. This is the natural outworking of paganism creeping into the church. And, uh, you know, Satan, he's quite okay with this, being, this happening under the disguise of Christianity. Galatians 9, the passage that Nate read for us here this morning. Now the works of the flesh are, man- flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, even if it is under the disguise of Christianity. Out of paganism, then, comes occultic practices and pagan holidays. The first one we want to look at here this morning is Halloween. This is another subject that is, um, I think, in the last 20 years, has just exploded in activity. Um, I think I remember as a young child, I mean, I remember some Halloween decorations, if you will, but not near to the extent that we have it today. 20 years ago, and some of you older people could even you know, go back much further than that, but I don't recall walking into big stores and seeing all these Halloween decorations right inside the door when you get inside. It seems like it has really magnified in the last 20 years. Halloween brings several things into focus. We have jack-o'-lanterns, ghosts, cemeteries in, in the yard, skeletons on front porches, field of screams, ugly billboards, and the list goes on. You drive down the road and you see this ugly, fierce-looking billboard um, somehow uh, advertising some event of some kind. Never been to anyone, and I have no desire to go. It looks very devilish. Halloween is said to be the highest of holy days for Satanists. And I don't, I don't have much experience at all with Satanism. Um, I think probably those missionaries that were held captive in Haiti for a while could speak uh, quite clearly to this subject of Satanists, having experienced it. I have never experienced anything like it. And I, I just don't know what that would be like. I imagine there would be a real battle. I think, though, that Halloween should not be confused with fall decorations. Um, another thing with Halloween that has really... For the Christian, we don't celebrate death, do we? Recently, my wife and I were walking down, we went for a walk, and we were walking along, and right off the side of the road, um, in the yard, there was a 
two hands and two feet sticking up out of the yard, uh, skeletons. And, you know, I walked past and I thought, so why would somebody do something like that? Why would you celebrate death? For the Christian, we celebrate life, right? Sure, when somebody dies, we know they're going to a better place. We're celebrating life, resurrection. That is the hope of the Christian. Why celebrate death? It's directly connected to Satanism. Halloween, let's just a little bit of history on Halloween. Halloween had its origin several thousand years ago with the Celts. This is something that's very, very old, um, even before the time of Christ. Um, the Celts, or Celts, I'm sorry, um, are actually comes from a, a location in Ireland. And uh, the football team, Celtics, they come from there. And um, in its early conception, people believed that life itself was coming to an end, not just the year. So it was, it was uh, practiced towards the end of the year. And they believed that life itself was coming to an end. They imagined that the night was haunted by ghosts, witches, and spirits of the dead. They imagined that the night was filled with dangers and omens. <clears throat> and because of that, they were concerned for their survival. They often would light large bonfires and often make gruesome sacrifices, sometimes even human sacrifices. That's the origin of Halloween. Well, in the early Catholic Church period, uh, they had decided that, you know, we should, we should take this night and incorporate it into our um, Christianity uh, to take the fear out of it. And so they, had, they kind of somewhat joined it together and tried to make it something that it wasn't. Well, it ended up not working out too well. And uh, they ended up adapting this paganism into their rituals. And St. Patrick was very influential in incorporating the pagan practices and holidays with uh, Christianity. Or maybe you could say more accurately, Catholicism. And much could be said about that, but for the sake of time, we'll keep moving here. The Reformers then shunned those pagan holidays, and they all but brought an end to the practice of many of those fearsome and gruesome holidays in Christianity. Not only the Anabaptists, but the, the Reformation as a whole had brought that to an end. Even after Christianity had succeeded in suppressing these pagan holidays, they took on new meaning and turned into a night of jubilee. By the, light, by the late 1970s, there was a great resurgence of Halloween adult activities. In the last two decades, which we already talked about, this had exploded in the United States as a national, highly commercialized holiday. Today, over 200 million people in the U.S. will celebrate Halloween, and uh, our total population in the U.S. is about 332 million, so well over half of the people will be celebrating Halloween. There is projected, I'm sorry, in 2021, Total spend on Halloween decorations was $10.1 billion. 
Since 2005, it has increased drastically. Total spend in 2005 was approximately $3.3 billion. Last year, in 2021, the amount that was spent just for costumes, only costumes, was $3.3 billion, and Halloween candy was $3 billion. Halloween is more evil than it seems. This idea of trick-or-treating, you might say, well, what's wrong with trick-or-treating? What's wrong with giving candy and things like that? The root of this is connected to paganism. And so, just this week I was driving down the road and I saw on a church sign something about trunk or treat. I don't know what trunk or treat is, I never did it, but I thought, well, they're at least advertising a certain, a certain if it's not trick or treat, I don't know what it is, other than it's a close connection to uh, trick or treating and Halloween. And um, I believe it is our responsibility as Christians we should resist and stand fast against those kinds of practices. <clears throat> All right, let's look at yoga, Eastern occult philosophy. And uh, all Eastern religions pretty well practice some form of, of, of mysticism. And uh, yoga is one of the ways that that is, um, that is worked out or expressed. <clears throat> Let's look at the term mysticism. What is meant by mysticism? Mysticism is a belief that union with deity or ultimate reality may be attained through contemplation and subjective experience. Union with deity or ultimate reality may be attained through contemplation and subjective experience, okay? So what is meant by subjective experience? It is by how you feel about something, okay? So if you feel a certain way, then you must empty yourself and connect, and then you, you can get connected with reality. And we'll talk more about this. Mystics believe that knowledge of the divine is inaccessible via human intellect, Okay? Knowledge of the divine is inaccessible via human intellect. This means that to connect with God or divinity means disengaging your mind and disconnecting with reality. I fear far too often this Practice is incorporated into Christianity. This view, the, this view of disengaging the mind or disconnecting with reality, this mystic view, is the, uh, the underpinning view of the charismatic movement that is so prevalent among us today. The thought is that if you, that if you want to connect with God, you must disengage the mind. Is our Christian faith mystical? Is our faith mystic? Somebody asked me, he said, well, so isn't there an element of our faith that's mystic? 
how would you respond? Absolutely not. Our faith is not mystical in any way. There is a sense of mystery, but it is not mystic. Our faith is rooted and grounded in the Word of God. It is not mystical in the sense of disengaging our minds. Our faith is based on the truth of His Word. It's based on this truth right here. We can engage our mind, engage with the Word of God, and our faith comes through that. It is not mystical. We don't go and disengage our mind and become uh, open to all kinds of influences. Very dangerous. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your being, with all your soul, your spirit, and with all your mind, the noodle. Engage with the mind. I believe God gave us a mind and he wants us to use them. Philippians 1.9 says this, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in what? In love? In love, yes. In how you feel about things? He says this, That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge, the way you think, and in all judgment. That's in Philippians 1.9. So judgment has the idea of discernment, of moral discernment in ethical matters. That's what it means. He's saying that we should abound in love yet more and more in, in discernment and in, um, in judgment. What we know to be true and what we discern as moral, ethical matters. And of course, God's Word will interpret that for us. The Bible never separates knowledge of God and love for God. It is sound doctrine that deepens our knowledge of God. And when our knowledge of God is deepened, then that enables our love for God to deepen. Right? Very closely connected in what we think, engaging with our minds in the rational um, and our love for God. <clears throat> I'll just say this. The disengaged mind is the enemy of the Christian, but it is a friend of the false teacher. The disengaged mind is the enemy of the Christian, but it is the friend of a false teacher. An engaged mind will engage in God's Word, and he will know, because he's filtering what he's hearing through the Word of God, and he is going to be able to discern between what is false doctrine and what is truth because of the Word of God. We cannot interpret the Bible by our experiences, but we must interpret our experiences with the Bible. And um, interpreting the Bible by our experiences is mysticism. It is a disengagement of the rational mind, and that is something that is condemned by Scripture. 
All right, so how is this then expressed in yoga? The mystic view is expressed, I believe, in many ways. And one of those ways is through yoga. In yoga, I understand, I, I knew nothing about this before I started studying for this, okay? I mean, I've seen yoga signs around and you see these things, but I'd never really paid much attention to it. Yoga is practiced in Eastern religions. Yoga at its root word comes from the idea of being yoked with or to be yoked with Brahman. The divine and Brahman is a divine consciousness of Hinduism. It is connected to a worldview that is Antichrist at its root. <clears throat> Webster's definition a Hindu theistic philosophy teaching the suppression of all activity of body, mind, and will. Here we go. Suppression of the activity of the body, mind, and will. Why? In order that self may realize its distinction from them and attain liberation. In the yoga practices, the idea is to disengage the mind, disengage your body, so that you may realize its distinction from them and attain liberation. Why? It's pure mysticism. This through intense deep meditation, you reach a state that is beyond thought, beyond change, beyond imagination, beyond differences and duality. Okay? So it's just completely disengaging with reality. The goal of yoga is to train the body, to train the mind, in order to realize one's own divinity. There again, we see self coming on the throne. It's all about self. Train the mind. And, you know, you might say, well, what's wrong with just doing some stretches and yoga stretches and whatnot? And I say, well, I don't know if you inadvertently, I guess, do it but to engage in the practice of yoga itself, I believe there is a connection with a spiritual force there. And in the meditation of yoga, I believe there is a direct connection to the spirits of Brahman. You know, yoga practices are specific. I'm sorry, yoga postures are specific to worship of pagan gods. So if you get into yoga and you get into those practices, you might be actually in a form of worship to one of their gods. Be not unequally yoked. What does light have in common with darkness? And Jesus said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. The worldview of a cult that practices yoga is everything is divine and there is only one divine reality and that is your spirit. Always one, always God. This is pantheism, thus making us little gods. In yoga, salvation comes from self-realization and personal divinity. So vastly different from the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is that God is creator. 
He is distinct from creation. He is not a part of creation. Man is created in God's image, but is not divine. So vastly different. In Christianity, salvation is received through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Very different. Again, I might say the disengaged mind is the enemy of the Christian, but is a friend of the false teacher. So what then are we supposed to do? One thing for certain is we have an advocate, Jesus, as our advocate. And he is triumphant over sin and death, and even, you could say, over Satan himself. Colossians 2.15 says this, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly and triumphed over them in it. Despite cultural and societal pressures we may face, God has equipped us with all we need to stay true to Him. And um, maybe a few things on our response. I believe as we look at the outworkings of paganism in the society around us, I believe it's important for us to go to the Bible for our source of info for these events. And you know, you can say, well, there's no specific chapter and verse in the Bible that talks about Halloween. Um, I believe, though, there are solid principles which, if applied properly, can enable us to respond to these issues in a way that pleases God and is a positive for our families. Evil is pervasive in our society. And some try to get as close as they can to the fire without getting burned. And 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. I believe God is very clear in His Word. Avoid every kind of evil. Now, as I thought about that, I said, you know, I believe this is true. God wants us to. And in one sense, Christians cannot avoid all evil any more than a boat avoids all water. Our culture is permeated by evil. It is all around us. You know, our tendency, though, my tendency is that I become desensitized to evil and its influences. It's very real for us as we live in a paganistic society for us to become desensitized to these things. I remember an older fellow in our church, he would talk about, um, he talked about his dad some, and one day he said to me, we were in discussion, he said, you know, I remember the day when my dad quit buying feed from a certain salesman because he became divorced and remarried. And I thought about that and pondered on that for some time. And I thought, you know, I, I don't think I would even think about a decision like that today. The paganistic society around us, 
definitely has an influence. And I've wondered, what is it going to be like for our children? I don't think we need to live in fear. But it is reality that this homosexual thing that's on, that's, that's in the, seems like it's in the battlefront right now could eventually become something that we never thought it could turn into. Our tendency, or at least my tendency, is to become desensitized by these things. <clears throat> Beware of the battle. Do not become complacent to the things around us. <clears throat> be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith? Here we see that we're supposed to resist evil. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Our responsibility, I believe, is in these cases to resist and stand firm. <clears throat> Will we be found true? Will we be found true, standing true to Jesus in the end? <clears throat> I believe ultimately it comes down to being careful not to compromise biblical principles in our lives as we respond to the issues in contemporary culture. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You ever thought about that? Do all that you do for the glory of God. Not for the glory of many or for the glory of whoever you are, but for the glory of God. This is the supreme test for every believer. Do are we motivated for the glory of God? Even in the most mundane and routine things in life, His glory is to be our life commitment. Because we have been bought with a price. One verse in closing. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let's kneel together and pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the many promises in your word. And Lord, as we live our lives here, yeah, where you have called us to be, I pray that we could be faithful in our examples to those around us and in our walk with you, that we could represent you well to the world around us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and I pray that as we go from here, that we could be a faithful witness and testimony of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.